Hello. Well, in this episode, we'll be learning about underfloor heating. This is a topic of much interest in the UA community, particularly this time of year in Australia. Now, Previously, this has been seen as a luxury item only used in high-end homes. However, in recent years, underfloor heating has become much more prevalent. There's still lots of confusion and misconceptions about how it works, where it can be installed, and how to get the most from it, whether you're building or renovating. And so I'm bringing in an expert. Luke Chant from Hotwire, who has 15 years industry experience, will help shed some light on how to get it right when it comes to underfloor heating. Welcome to Get It Right with the Undercover Architect. This is the podcast all about designing, building or renovating your home. I'm your host, Amelia Lee. Think of me as your secret ally. I am on a mission to help you create a home that makes your life better, whoever you're working with and whatever your dreams, your location or your budget. Together we'll uncover the nitty gritty of how to get it right and how to create a home that works, feels great and that you feel great in. So join me now. I'm really excited to be bringing you this episode. I received so many questions about underfloor heating. And so when I first met Luke Chant from Hotwire, I knew he'd be a great person to help the UA community learn more about this topic for their renovations or new builds. Now, Luke and I actually met through a business networking group that we're both part of. This is not sponsored content. It's simply from me talking to Luke and seeing the reputation that Hotwire has in the industry and how many other brands trust them that made me want to bring him to the UA community because I know how helpful his information and his knowledge will be for your projects. So as I said, Luke has 15 years industry experience in this area and his company Hotwire supplies the various components and gear to installers for underfloor heating, plus a range of other items that you may want to check out. Hotwire is based in Melbourne and they have installers throughout Australia that specify and use their products. Hotwire has been featured on The Block, House Rules, Renault Rumble, and the home team. And Hotwire is also the recommended floor heating and or heated towel rail supplier for some of the biggest tile and electrical suppliers in the industry. Now, I asked Luke some of the most common questions that I receive about underfloor heating, the different types, what type of floors you can put them under, how much it costs to install and run, retrofitting it to an existing home if you're renovating, and how to go about finding a trustworthy supplier. He gives us loads of information and knowledge to all of these questions, plus lots more. Make sure that you head to the blog as well. Luke has provided me with some images of some of the items that he's discussing here in our interview. And you can also find links to Hotwire's website, which is packed full of lots of info to help you with your selection. And you can also see if there's an installer in your area. So I'm going to pop the link in the show notes, or you can simply head to www.undercoverarchitect.com forward slash underfloor heating or one word, and you can find all the information there. Let's dive into the episode. Hey, Luke. So you've got a little bit of a croaky voice today, but I know that you're soldiering on, which is really good to see. So thanks so much for joining us to talk about underfloor heating. I know that the UI community is going to be super interested in what you have to teach us about what they need to know about underfloor heating. So thanks very much for being with us today. Uh, no problems, and I do apologise for my slightly croaky voice. Um, <laughs> I'll be uh, sipping warm water through the, uh, through the presentation to keep my throat lubricated enough to talk. <laughs> Good stuff. All right. Well, we're going to dive straight into the questions. I've got a collection of questions 
they're ones I hear from the UA community all of the time. And so to have an expert be able to share their knowledge and experience and insight into how to get it right when it comes to underfloor heating is going to be really invaluable, I think. So can you firstly explain to us just how does underfloor heating actually work? Like what are the mechanics of it? How is it driven? You know, what, what you know, how does it actually work for, for heating the floor? Sure. So um, I mean, underfloor heating is actually nothing new. It's been around since ancient Rome. They used to heat up water and pump it under their floors. So so the concept's been around for a long time, and uh, we've got obviously better and better at it since uh, since Roman times. There's uh, essentially it's a it's an electric heating element, and that's installed in the floor at, at different stages depending on the construction of the particular um, property. So uh, you can go from in slab, which is a cable that's about as thick as your thumb, um, which is fixed to the reinforcing of the concrete, right through our main product, which we sell the vast majority of, which is about a four millimetre thick cable, and that's just spread up and put on top of the concrete, spread up and down the floor, and then you just install your flooring over the top. I did say concrete just said you can actually do it on second storeys or whatever the substrate is. It's just a four millimetre thick element spread up and down the floor um, and the flooring put on top. Gotcha. Okay. So my, my next question was, you know, how much room does it actually need? So when you're saying it can either go into the slab, attach the reinforcement. So that's actually sitting obviously within poured concrete, but you've yeah. also got this other option, which sits in a zone between the substrate floor. So that might be sitting on top of the concrete slab or on top of yeah. a particle board or something like that, if you've got that uh, as part of new building work. And then how much space, like, does it actually need to, does the flooring that goes over the top of that need to be packed up or does it just happen in sort of the screed that might go under tiling or how does, you know, in terms of how much space it actually takes up and how much it might raise your floor as a result, how does that yeah. sort of work? Sure. So the vast majority of our product goes under tile. Um, the biggest objection to tiles is that they're cold. So uh, people install floor heating so they have all the benefits of tiles um, but don't have the problem of freezing cold tiles in winter. So given that the element is four millimetres thick, it doesn't actually raise the height of the tiled floor at all because you can just absorb that into the tile glue. So you've got two options. You can put the element down on the floor and essentially just tile straight over the top, in which case it won't add to the floor height at all. Uh, or you can put a self-leveling compound over the top, which is basically about a four millimetre thick layer of concrete and it makes the surface flat again, and then you can put your flooring on top of that. So in that circumstance, we're raising the floor height by four to five millimetres, but depending on how you construct the home, sometimes that's not even necessary. We can just absorb it into the tile glue, and then we don't we don't really impact construction of, of regarding floor height at all. So that sounds like something that you can do both in renovations and in new builds quite simply. So you yeah. can obviously, if you're renovating and you're redoing a bathroom or something like that, this is something that you can add in quite simply. Is that is that correct? Yeah, sure. So we can do as little as one square metre uh, right up to a whole house. So we do quite a lot of renovations and, yeah, as I said, right through to working with some uh, some builders who, who do extended living areas um, quite regularly with, with the whole wire product. And And... Once it's obviously laid in the floor, how does it then connect up to whatever's driving it and what needs to turn it on and off and how all of that sort of, you know, because this is obviously cabling that's running up. Is it the cabling itself that's heating up? Like how, how what's the mechanics yeah. of all of that? So it's a heating element and it does get hot. Picture the, um, the easiest analogy is the back window of your car. When you press the demister, you've got a, a heating element in your back window that runs up and down. That's what we're doing with floor heating. We're just putting putting that 
under your floor. So that makes it really uh, a simple analogy to, to understand. Uh, and then the we have a fully programmable touchscreen thermostat, which comes standard with every system. And I can perhaps we can include an image of that um, as well in the uh, in the blog. And the the fully programmable touchscreen thermostat is what actually drives the floor heating. So, uh, and that's programmed around your lifestyle. Um, there's Wi-Fi ones available. There's um, you know standard touchscreens. So most people really just put their floor heating program it when they get it and turn it on when the cold weather hits and turn it off again six months later and it, it just operates around their lifestyle so you know if you're with under tile heating it heats up really quickly so you'll program it to be come on for a, a little bit in the morning and then it's um we'll probably address this a, a bit more later in the podcast but um it just programs completely around around your lifestyle fantastic and so in terms of so it's obviously got electricity that's driving it. How does it end up adding to your bills and, you know, those types of things? Is it something that's expensive to run or, you know, do people have concerns about that? People are very concerned about it. And as we all are with electricity costs nowadays, it's one of those things. It's quite interesting that floor heating is actually really cheap to, to buy and it's also really cheap to run. Most people think floor heating is probably two to three times more expensive to buy than it actually is. And That's good news with, for people. <laughs> yeah, same with running costs. So the, the standard conversation I have with people is, uh, what do you think floor heating is going to cost to run? And they always think it's much more. And also, what do you think floor heating is going to cost to buy? If we just talk about a bathroom, for example, most people think floor heating is going to cost $1,500 to, to $3,000 to install, whereas it's really it's fully installed for less than $1,000 most of the time. And running cost-wise, it's, it's really cheap. So... In an, if I can just talk electricity for a bit, in an average bathroom, uh, we're going to put in a 600 watt hot wire system. Whereas if you compare that to a heat lamp unit that most people put in without thinking about it, they're about 1500 watts. Right. That's a good so, comparison. Yeah. Yeah. So your floor heating runs at, you know, less than half the cost of your average heat lamp unit. So people do get really concerned about the running costs, but it's actually really not something to worry about. It's cheaper than any other way to heat your bathroom. If you're going to, if you think about it, you've got a few options to heat your bathroom. You've either got a heat lamp unit, you're going to run a gas, part of your, your, your gas or your electric ducted heating system in there, or you're going to put floor heating in. We've just covered the heat lamp unit. Uh, that's really expensive. If you put a gas duct in or a heating duct into your bathroom, then you're going to have about a third of your house on just to heat your bathroom because you're not going to have it zoned down far enough to just have your bathroom on. So therefore, you're heating a third of your house just to heat your bathroom. Or you can do floor heating at 600 watts, which is nothing. So the actual answer to your question is it'll cost about two cents every square meter every hour. Okay. So an average bathroom is, is four square meters. That's our biggest selling system. So that's going to cost you eight cents an hour. That's great. I'm glad that you could drill it down in such detail, actually, because that makes it really real for people. And I think, too, to yeah. compare it to the other heating methods that you might have, you know, mm-hmm. it is. It's Underfloor heating is seen as this kind of luxury item. But like you say, that heating lamp that you might put in as part of the integrated sort of ventilation and lighting system in your bathroom is almost seen as a no-brainer. And I think it's nice to think as an alternative if you, you know, if you get this decided on early enough that you can incorporate it and it could potentially be lower cost for you overall. So, with the with the uh, I mean 
a lot of the inf- information and questions that I get is, does it need thermal mass? Does it need something heavy, you know, underneath it to, in order to for it to actually be worthwhile and to be efficient? Or, you know, if you've, say, got a suspended floor upstairs that's timber framed, that's got particle board over the top of it, and you're putting it in an upstairs bathroom and you want to put underfloor heading under that, are you going to be wasting a lot of energy? Is it, you know, are you going to have to have it on all the time in order to actually keep the floor warm? Like how... How does sort of that thermal mass conversation and sure. come into the, the effectiveness of underfloor heating? So with under tile heating, which is as the product we sell the most of, um, that actually heats up quicker on a second story than it does on a ground floor. So because uh, inside a, a structure floor, whether it be particle board or skion or, or heave or whatever you're doing, has a much lower moisture content than a concrete slab does. So it heats up much more quickly. So it might take half an hour to an hour to heat up on a slab, but it'll heat up in less than you know, 20 minutes sometimes on a uh, on a second story. So you don't need that big um, thermal mass under it at all. If you put a insulative barrier underneath, it will heat up more quickly. So, uh, and there are various products in the market um, that will do that job, but most people don't worry about it because it heats up so quickly anyway that you're really not achieving a great deal by doing it that way. Now, in terms of thinking about how you might future-proof your house, how you might think about this in terms of if you're doing something that you're going to sell down the track, do you see that this is something that is really attractive for resale or people are trying to actually sort of build in the capacity to have this installed in their homes right throughout or in bathrooms? You know, how how, how you see the conversation happening around underfloor heating and the resale of homes and it's seen as an asset to a house overall? Yeah, sure. So um, I have a Google alert set up every day that emails me whenever floor heating is mentioned anywhere. And almost every day I'll get a Google alert based around a resale of, of a property and, and floor heating being mentioned either in a new home or, or a resale. So uh, I know when we sold our house, it was one of the key benefits that um, that the real estate agent listed on the on the site um, was oh, on the even on the board at the front of our home was under floor heating. So yeah, it is. It is a key. Uh, it is a key benefit. Yeah. Do you see people really grappling with whether they're going to put it just in the bathrooms or whether they're going to do it throughout the whole house? Sort of. How does that process work out for a lot of homeowners? Uh, yeah. So certainly that does happen. Um, most people will um, will debate that that issue, but we do get a lot of people putting it in in living areas. It's really quite cost effective to do, and I've had it in in two houses as the only heating I've had in living areas, and it works really well. And you're um, Melbourne-based, aren't you? So I can imagine the winters there kind of require that, you know, some decent heating. So you're saying that the underfloor heating is the only heating that you've had in your living areas? Is that what you just said? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. wow. So we've had it in two houses as the, um, as the only heating in our, in our main living area, and, and it works works really well. It's, it's the kind of heat where you walk in the room and, and you don't know why you feel warm. You're just warm. Because uh, there's no gas ducts around the place, you can't see anything. It just feels nice and and pleasantly warm. So uh, yeah, it's um, it's it's a really nice heat from that point of view to to have in a living area. Just really luxurious, but without necessarily the massive luxury price tag. Gotcha. And if they has that been under tiles, or can you do it under floorboards as well? You can under some floorboards. It's actually a question for the manufacturer of the product that's being used as to whether they will um, guarantee their floor heating over um, over under floor heating because some people won't. Their floorboards, so because of the expansion and contraction, is that generally yeah, why some floorboard manufacturers um, have issues with it? It's generally the cheaper products 
Um, the more expensive um, floorboards and the better quality floorboards are generally fine, but some manufacturers uh, won't guarantee their product over, over floor heating. That's a great tip, actually, because you can imagine if you've made a decision that you don't want tiles and you want timber floorboards, then yeah. knowing that if you want underfloor heating as well, you've got to have that conversation with the floorboard manufacturer. That's a, that's yes. a really great tip. So now, yeah, yeah. yeah, I tell people it depends depends what order they're making their decision in. Do they really want floor heating or do they really want the timber floors? And then it depends which is the highest priority where you then go from there. Gotcha. So with your house, did do you have tiles or did you have timber floorboards on these on these floors that you were talking about? Uh, we had tiles right through the living area. And it really was because the kids would lie on the floor and do their homework in the middle of winter and the dog would lie on the floor. But, you know, you'd never get that in winter on tiles normally. Um, but because it was just really nice, it was something they were happy to do. It's you know, like having a heated seat in your car. It's really pleasant to, <laughs> <laughs> to Yeah. It's actually a really interesting thought because I know that a lot of people think tiles are cold, you know, that they're a cold surface to have in your home, yeah. but they like the durability of them. There also can, there's a, you know, a really big range at sort of quite different budget levels as well. So to know that that's possibly an option for you to alleviate the coldness by actually having underfloor heating underneath the tiles um, yeah. may open up some options for people in terms of thinking about their project um, quite considerably. So now, in terms of like the order of things, at what stage in your renovation or build do you need to think about underfloor heating to make sure that it doesn't become impossible to include or too difficult or cost prohibitive? Yeah, depending on how big an area you're doing, if you're just doing a bathroom, then there's factors around power supply. Uh, but if you're just doing a bathroom, we can normally steal power from an existing circuit. If you're doing a living area, then you really do need to plan for that at your first fixed electrical or rough-in stage. Uh, and in, in a new build, that's a frame stage when all your electrics are being run. Uh, you need to factor it in at that point. If you, as I said, if you're just doing a bathroom, we can factor it in later on without too much of drama. And in terms of actually physically laying it, you said it's a heating element. Do you put down some kind of, you know, like system that basically then those cables get clipped into like what does that physically look like when it's going down over the top of your slab or over the top of your you know your substrate again it looks really similar to that back window of your car so it's a heating element up and down the floor it goes down at about 70 mil apart up and down the floor and then we're going to stick that down with um with some tape to the uh, to the substrate onto the floor and then um, we can also use a hot glue or some silicon, depending on exactly what's happening on site. If there's any, um, sometimes in the colder weather, it can be difficult to get things to stick. Um, so there's a variety of methods we use to actually hold the element in place. Uh, but as I said, about 70 mils apart up and down the floor. And then um, we can then cover it with a fiberglass mesh, which is like a massive piece of sticky tape. It's about, it's about, it's about um, a, a meter wide. And at this roll, we get us 50 metres long and we spread that out right across the element. It's self-adhesive and it sticks to the ground and it just holds everything in place. Gotcha. And that's really big holes in it so the tile glue can still get through. Oh, okay. So that the tile can still adhere to the substrate below and yeah. it's not, not causing any lifting of the tiles. Yeah, so that's one option. We talked about putting a self-leveling compound over it earlier. We can do that too. Um, so it's really either one of those um, that we would do. Do you find that builders have a specific preference for one or, or the other in terms of those choices, that whether they're happy to direct stick the tiles or whether they want to see a self-leveling compound? Is that? I have I have quite sizable builders that some prefer one and some prefer the other. Uh, so it's uh, it, it just depends on the on the on the particular builder. 
Gotcha. Yep. Now, in terms of one of the questions I always get is what happens if it breaks? Like, how do I get to it to fix it up? You know, it's a, yep. it's, it's underneath my flooring. It could, everything could go pear-shaped and this thing be really wrong. How do you allay people's fears in that regard and how, how do you sort of think about if it does break down, how it gets fixed and all those types sure. of things? This is actually one of my favourite parts of the job because it's actually really cool. Um, so we, we have a thermal imaging camera, so we get a bit James Bond about it. We've got this thermal camera, and when you turn your floor heating on, we can actually see the element under the tiles or under the flooring. So the thermal camera will de- determine a difference of 0.1 of a degree. So it's really very highly accurate. And as, as soon as you turn the heating on, you can see the element underneath. So if it gets if it gets broken uh, or it's or it's damaged, we can actually see that damage through the thermal camera because where it's damaged, it actually gets hotter. What will happen initially, the, the full technical explanation is it will actually stop working completely. It will trip the safety switch and it will stop. So we disconnect it from the safety switch and put power down the element anyway. Uh, and then where it's damaged, it actually gets hotter. And we can see that with the thermal camera. Um, and you can see it in a, often in a matter of seconds after you turn it on. You can just scan around the room and go, there it is. So um, we'll include a picture of that uh, for people as well um, who are watching the video. But uh, it's, yeah, it's it's really simple actually, and it's um and yeah, it's actually really really cool. We feel we feel very super spy when we get it. And then in terms of actually repairing that component, how do you go about doing that? So at the end of the day, it's quite a, an advanced piece of electric cable, but it's just a piece of electric cable, um, so it can be joined back together again without too many dramas. So uh, we would. Generally remove one tile unless you happen to be have an issue on the corner where four tiles meet, but uh, generally we remove maybe one or two um, and dig out the tile glue, get down the element, uh, and, and any electrician can just join it back together again with some with some crimps and some heat shrink. Normally it's actually really quite simple to do. That's fantastic because I think that, um, yeah, people sort of have a feeling that once it's under their floor, it's locked and loaded and that if it breaks yeah. down, that's it. What's the kind of lifespan of the, the system generally, like all things being equal and it working? What, what do you, how do you sort of see it lasting for people in their homes? Yeah, so we have a 10-year guarantee on the, um, on the heating element and a two-year guarantee on the thermostat. But the example I use to people when they ask me is, uh, you know, my, my current house is about 40 years old. And most of the electric cabling that goes to the light switches in the back corner of the house, you know, the house has been renovated in that 40 years, but a lot of the cabling that going to the light switches is still the same. Uh, and it's still there after 40 years and it's still working. So although we put a 10-year guarantee on it, there's no reason to, to, to think it wouldn't work for, for 20 or, or 30 years. Um, we started the company 15 years ago in Australia and uh, we certainly haven't had a, a flood of warranty claims. <laughs> uh, so, um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, there's no reason to think it wouldn't last, um, wouldn't last quite a long time. That's a good tip, actually, as a sidebar, is if you're looking for, for a product and a manufacturer to look that they've actually been around longer than their warranty so that you can, <laughs> yeah. you can, you can see that they, <laughs> they've managed to take care of their product. So. Now, can you talk me through some of the key mistakes that people make when they're thinking about and installing their underfloor heating? Okay. So there's certainly some mistakes around the installation process, and we have uh, worked really hard over the last 15 years to build a network of installers across Australia. So pretty much wherever wherever your listeners are looking to put in underfloor heating, I can pretty much say I'm going to have an installer who can do the job 
um, you know, unless you're 500 k's out of a out of a capital city. Um, but but even then, we've got installers in uh, in Albury and in Horsham and in Mildura and, and all over the place. We've got people that can do the job, so we can certainly still still help out. Uh, so installation network is important. Like anything, if you've done it before, uh, it's it's easier. Like even doing this podcast, you know, you've, you've done it plenty of times. I'm sure it's a lot easier than the first time you did it. Uh, so. Um, so with the floor heating, it's the same. And we, the heating element for it, as I said, it's got to be 70 mil apart. And we do get people, uh, despite the fact that that's plastered all over the material that comes with the product, we do get people installing it incorrectly. And uh, we can see it with the thermal camera that I mentioned before. Uh, we can walk in the room and with it, you can see clearly how far apart the heating element um, is, on, is under the tiles. So that's the biggest mistake people make on installation is putting, is not paying attention to that cable spacing. Because you'll, you'll achieve one of two things. If you put it too close, the floor will simply get too hot to stand on. And if you put it too far apart, you'll never know it's there. So it's got to be right on um, right on the 70, uh, right on that 70 mil um, to make sure that um, it doesn't it doesn't um, you know have any have any ill effects. And are there any other mistakes that you see people make in terms of hooking it up to the thermostat or thinking about where they locate the thermostat? You know, all of those types of things. No, we do get a couple of people making errors on, on the connection of the thermostat, but it's not very often. That Again, the instructions are very clear. It's diagrammatical. It tells people which which colour from the from the heating element goes into which port on the back of the thermostat. So with the thousands of products we sell, we do get a few phone calls, but most people are, are pretty are pretty good. And again, we've got that network of installers that we that we have Australia wide to to hopefully allay any of those any of those problems. But generally, it's it's people just not reading the instruction manual properly. But but I guess who of us haven't tried to do, put an IKEA piece of furniture together without paying, <laughs> paying a lot of attention to to the instruction manual too? So yeah, we we have I guess we have to we have to give people a little bit of slack. Oh, and it's one of those things, isn't it? Generally, with products that most warranties are only honoured if it's installed as per manufacturer specifications. It'll say that somewhere on yeah. the warranty. So it is actually yeah. really important um, for you know, for the UA community to understand that regardless of what they're specifying, if they're not the one coordinating, you know, like a builder actually managing the subcontractor and bringing that person in, then they need to make sure that whoever is installing it has the manufacturer's specification so that they don't void their warranties in terms of um, getting that installed. So how do you find people generally run that thermostat, you know, in terms of their their lifestyle and, and having it on and turning it off and setting it at temperatures and those types of things? Yeah, it really depends. Some people, particularly in the snowfield, some people will use their floor heating, for example, to heat up during the day, but then they'll use it so that you can have a setback temperature, so you can set it to heat to, say, 21 degrees, but then never get colder than 15. And so people in, in really cold climates or in uh, that's in the snowfields or in southern Tasmania, that sort of thing, they, they will often use it for that. So when you get up in the middle of the night, your floor's not warm, but it's certainly not freezing either. It's it's still okay. We've even done it on uh, balconies in snowfields, so it doesn't ice up during the night and that sort of thing. So, so there's a variety of different pe- ways people use it. Most people would, you know, if you're in your bathroom at, at six or seven in the morning, it just comes on half an hour before you're in there. You leave it on for half an hour to an hour after you're finished in there, and one of the key benefits of floor heating is it'll actually dry out the whole room. So because the floor's warm, it dries out. So, you know, when your kids leave their towels on the floor, it's going to dry it anyway. <laughs> so, so that's a really, really good advantage. So it can, it can dry out the room so you get less mould, so you're cleaning your bathroom less often. 
there's a, there's actually a, a lot of benefits to it over and above just being warm. That's um that's actually a really interesting point. And the external use is there anything special that you have to do with it if you want to use it externally? Because I can imagine like balconies on master bedrooms, wandering out yeah. with a cup of tea on a winter's morning. That would yeah. actually be a really attractive thing to some homeowners. What do you need to know if you want to use it externally? It just that it is going to be obviously different. Um, if you're going to use it, and we've done our frescoes, we've done restaurants, all that sort of thing, all you're really going to achieve outside, even if you've got um, proper cafe blinds up, all you're really going to achieve is is warming the floor. Um, you're not going to get radiant warmth in an outside environment. So as long as people are happy with that expectation uh, or happy with that reality, should I say, uh, then um, it'll be fine in um, uh, in an outdoor uh, environment. As I said, we have done quite a few restaurants and, and various different things. We've even done some weird and wonderful things. We did a uh, we did a piggery for the pregnant sows and all sorts of things. So oh, wow! <laughs> we, we, we had, a, had a snake farmer buy a bunch to put in all his all his um, all his different uh, different cages once too. So. Silly question. Does anybody ever put it behind their wall tiling? Generally not in the house. We have done um, a few projects where it did go in the walls. We did a couple of uh, Muslim prayer houses that um, the whole room needed to be quite warm. Even the heated seat that went around the room needed to be warm. And so we heated the seat and the walls and the floor um, and everything. Uh, So we have done that in a more commercial environment. In your home, if you want to heat the walls, we, we put in a heated tower up would be which we also uh, sell so that would be the solution in your in your home Uh, if you put if you put it in the walls it is going to make it pretty much like a sauna so (laughs) you generally wouldn't wouldn't be that in the house (laughs) now can you give us some tips in terms of you know you guys have obviously been in operation for a really long time and you're you know preferred suppliers to um, some really big names in the industry. What tips do you have for homeowners who are, you know, we've got listeners all over the world um, in the UI community. What tips can you give listeners about what kinds of questions they need to be asking the suppliers of their underfloor heating components and, you know, what they need to look at in terms of choosing somebody reputable to be able to do this in their home? Okay. So a lot of my competitors, when they package up their underfloor heating, will only include a really basic timer as their standard product. So what happens then is you don't have any thermostatic control. So with a hot wire product, what it will do is it cycles every half an hour with a, with a fully programmable thermostat. So you need to check that the product you're getting is including a fully programmable thermostat and not just a timer because that's going to reduce your running costs quite significantly. Also, some of the timers uh, are just really, really basic. Uh, they just look horrible in your home. Some of them are even just those, I think the, the rotary dials with the pins that push in and out and look like the 1980s. Um, so some of my competitors, uh, and I'm no doubt around the world as well, will will make their product look cheaper by giving you a quote that just includes that, that product. So you really want to make sure that whoever you're getting a floor heating quote from does include a fully programmable thermostat. Firstly, it makes it a lot easier to use, but it will reduce your running costs too. So that thermostat's basically, like you were saying, letting it go up to a specific temperature and and not getting colder than a specific temperature. So it's yeah. basically just not staying on ad infinitum. It's, base, it's maintaining that temperature gauge between those two. Is that sort of... 
Yeah, pretty much. I mean, your your viewers um, can see behind me a, a wall of, of thermostats, um, and we've got a, a variety of them there that that do this this job. So yeah, a, a thermostat will will have a, a set back temperature, like I said, so you can use it in the um in the summer, uh, sorry, in the winter, in the snowfield, you could have that setback and then have that, that full range of, of programming options. And because it's a thermostat, not just a timer, it'll it'll cycle. So if your room heats up and it's, it's a naturally warmer day, you, you, you've got your floor heating program to come on, but, um, but that day is a bit warmer than you expected, your floor heating won't actually switch on. So where, because- where does the thermostat measure the temperature? Like how, where, where is it taking the actual temperature point from? Yeah, again, another another good question. So um, we have a, a floor sensing probe. So it goes from, from the thermostats you see there down into the floor and is buried under the floor. And that senses the temperature there. Most thermostats will also have um, an air sensing option, as do as ours certainly do. Uh, so it'll sense from those places. So if the room is just warmer that day because you've got a, a nice window facing the right direction and the sun's coming in, then you'll, the time will come around that it should switch on, but it will automatically realise the the room's actually warmer than it. You're expecting it to be that day and it won't switch on. Whereas if you've just got a basic timer, it's going to switch on anyway. Gotcha. Okay. And in terms of that thermostat and running, you know, one system at a time, how if you're doing a whole house, how do you break it up into thermostats and how do you, you know, what's the maximum sort of area that can be driven off or that should be driven off one thermostat, you know, in terms of how that works? So most companies would give you uh, one thermostat per room, which is how we would do it. So again, the units behind me, we would we would have one of those in each area. So if you want your living room and maybe your laundry, laundry is a good place to put it because then you can hang your clothes up overnight in winter and dry them all out. So if you want, for example, your bathroom, your laundry, your, your living areas, you'd have a controller in each in each zone to do that. There's really no limit to how big an area we can do off one thermostat, but we we recommend not doing more than about 40 square metres. So even if you have an open plan living area, then we would do kitchen dining as one and family room as another, which is where it comes time for a physics lesson. I mean, okay, <laughs> bring it on, Luke. Right. Here's your here's your physics lesson lesson today for all your subscribers. So. Everyone would tell you that heat rises, right? People say heat rises, but heat doesn't rise. Hot air rises. And that's actually a really important difference. So heat travels in straight lines. Because if heat rises, when the sun's rays at the atmosphere, they bounce straight back up again and we'd all freeze to death. <laughs> so, so heat doesn't rise, hot air rises. So the point of that is if you pump hot air into your room, then it's going to come into the room and it's going to go straight up to the roof and the roof's going to be hot and the floor's going to be cold. With floor heating, because we're heating the entire floor, it travels up in straight lines and it heats everything it hits on the way. So it heats up the couch and the cat and the dog and the chair and everything in the room gets warm. It's warm. <laughs> so if you've got an open plan area, because we're setting heat up in straight lines, you can actually switch off the kitchen and dining area when you're finished with dinner and be warm in the living area because the heat's coming up from the floor. Gotcha. Whereas if you pump hot air into the room, you've got to pump hot, enough hot air in the room to fill the whole room. Whereas with floor heating, you don't need to do that. So you can zone it down far more effectively with uh, with floor heating than you can with other forms of heating. 
I can imagine too if orientation wise you're able to have you know some great north facing glazing on part of your open plan area but the other part is you know by by virtue yeah. of where it's located more internal and potentially colder then to be able to zone it that way so that you're not unnecessarily heating the stuff that is passively warmed by the orientation and you're focusing your in a, your household's energy on warming the part that isn't benefited by that that would really be handy as well and being able to control the systems yeah, you can absolutely do that. So, um, yeah, if you've got half the, half the house that's always in the shade, even with a north-facing window, um, you can put the floor heating over there and, and zone it down the down the line of where the sun hits and, uh, and make sure that you've uh, you've got the full benefits of it. So, a few things like that, that people don't often don't often think about um, when it comes to floor heating and designing the home. Yeah, no, that's brilliant. Now, look, we've been talking a lot about the basically immediately under tile or under the floor surface heating. But there's also some other types of underfloor heating, isn't there? There's in-slab and there's, you know, can you talk me through the different types of underfloor heating that are available and that I know that um, hot white heating sells? So. Sure. So in-slab is a method that used to be done uh, quite a lot in Australia, but it's not really suited to the Australian climate because it takes nine hours to, to heat up. Normally you have to leave it on all night to heat up your slab and then it distributes heat through the next nine hours while it cools down again. But in the Australian climate, in particularly in autumn and spring, we can have quite cold mornings, but then the day warms up quite a bit. So a lot of people with, who've installed in slab heating find they, they heat their house all night for a couple of hours in the morning, and then they have to open up all their windows and doors to cool their house down because it gets too hot, and that's all the heat they just paid to put in. So in some places, like if you're in, as I said, in Tasmania or in New Zealand or somewhere like that, in slab heating is a good option. But for most of Australia, in slabs probably not the best way to, to go. Then we have in screed and under tile heating. In screed is used a lot uh, in bathrooms, not in Victoria because the way a bathroom is built in Victoria is different to the rest of the country. Um, so uh, we like to be different in Victoria. Uh, so. Um, in screed heating, in screed heating, the elements about six or seven mil thick, and that's in the sand and spent screed, which is the bathroom floor is built from, and that goes underneath. So that takes a couple of hours to heat up. The screed is basically the leveling compound that goes over the top of the floor to get the tiles to actually fall to a drain, isn't it? It's and how and so it's about fifty mil thick generally falls yeah, down. Yeah. So sand and cement screed is like I said, made of sand and cement, and that's what that's what tilers or builders would use to, to you're right to, to slope the floor towards that drain in the bathroom, which for some weird reason we don't need to do in Victoria. So our bathrooms can just flood with no problems. In the rest of the country we have this drain. So we use the sand and cement screed to um to, to do that. Uh, and the uh, heating element goes underneath that, which you're right, would be about 50, 60, 70 mil thick, depending on how the construction uh, of that room goes. And then you go to under tile, which is one of the advantages in under tile is you can use it in every application. So it, whether, you're, if, whether you've got a screened bathroom, whether you haven't, whether you've got structure floors, uh, whether you've got heaval, whether you've, whatever floor surface you've got, you can put under tile heating in. So um, even if you're not then actually using a tile and putting a floating floor or anything else on top, you can still use that product to, to heat. So it's, it's sometimes called a thin wire heat rather than under tile heat. Gotcha. Um, and then four mil thick up and down the floor and put your flooring over the top. So it can sit on top of the screed as well, basically. So yeah, it can go on top of the screed. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it seems to make sense that it's it's directly under the thing that you're trying to warm up. 
you know, in terms of having that that heating element sitting under basically a 10 mil tile, that's, you know, you know and like it is, like you say, in Australia, which in spring and autumn, we do have pretty warm days. So that need to kind of have that ambient warmth might not be relevant for a lot of people throughout those times of the year. Yeah, exactly. So um, that does happen from um, where we, we have people make those those determinations on depending on you know, how they're constructing and what they're doing. Yeah, fantastic. Now, one of the questions I get is, is can this crack my tiles? Can this ruin yep. my floor? You know, am yep. I heating up and cooling down all the time? I've got something sitting under my floors. Is it, you know, is it going to cause any issues? Do you see any of that kind of thing happening with uh, underfloor heating? No, we've actually uh, got quite a strong relationship with um, some really big tile glue manufacturers in Australia, Ardex, Sika, uh, CTA. Uh, these guys all use and recommend hot wire products. So I've actually got a um, some uh, recommendations from the CEOs of all those companies saying that hot wire is a great product and it won't it won't have any effect on on theirs at all. Our biggest customer in Australia is Australia's largest tile company, which is Beaumont Tiles. They've got 120 odd stores around Australia, and there's actually a, there's actually a guy in Beaumont's head office whose job it is to deal with every customer complaint that can't be dealt with at store level. So you can imagine he's got an awesomely fun. Poor <laughs> <Cool> guy. <laughs> yeah. um, and, and and look, I've had a few conversations with him over the years where there's been issues on a, on a site, but it's actually never been tracked back to, to underfloor heating being the cause of it. So we've been um, selling the Beaumonts for 15 years, uh, and we can I can honestly say we've never had we've never had an issue where hot wire's been responsible for the cracking of a tile. If you think about it, tiles are made in a kiln at a zillion degrees. You know, my little four millimeter thick cables is not going to damage your top. Yeah, no, that's an interesting point, actually. So now, safety concerns. We're having heating elements under tiles in wet areas. Um, you know, water, electricity, all, all those kinds of things. Are there any safety concerns that people need to be worried about? Now, it's a fully insulated and fully earth RCD protected element. What's RCD so, stand for? Our residual current device. So that will stop if that, that's your safety switch, basically. So if you're um, if you're something happens to the cable, the safety switch kicks off straight away and your your element's fine. So what will happen then is if, if there is any damage to the cable whatsoever, the safety switch will kick off straight away um, in a millisecond and you're, you won't cause yourself any, any damage like every other heating product in your home or electric product in your home. So that's it's not a not a concern at all. In fact, even with water, when the heating element is plugged in, if, if we just connected one to power, you could actually put the heating element in the bucket of water if you wanted to. It's not it's fully insulated, so um, it's not going to be a problem. If 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 you've got an issue with water getting down the heating element through your tiles, through your tile glue, through your waterproofing down to the underfloor heating, you've actually got a, a far bigger issue than you thought. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it's it's really is um perfectly uh, perfectly okay to use in wet areas. We've done we did a, a camping ground in Hillsville where it was right through the whole shower area at one of the campsites in Hillsville. Um, and we've done plenty of houses where people put it right through their their showers. Uh, in fact, it's almost something I recommend nowadays. When 15 years ago, most showers that were built were that one square meter shower that you stand in. Um, a lot of showers nowadays are these walk-in showers where they're you know one or two sometimes three meters long with a whole end of a, a bathroom sometimes so if hot wire is going to heat the room we need to cover as much of the floor area as possible so if it is a really big shower area i actually do recommend that we go under there 
because uh, otherwise all you're going to achieve with the floor heating is actually heating the floor, not actually really heating the whole room. Yeah. No, well, it's a fantastic um, point. I actually like the idea of if you – a lot of people like putting bench seats in their showers so they've got somewhere to sit and, uh, and you know, whilst they're having a shower. I like the idea that you talked about where the bench was actually heated because you can then sit on it and not have a cold bum when you're uh, sitting in the shower, so <laughs> right from the word go. So, Luke, it's been fantastic to talk to you. You've explained so many, um, so much information and answered so many questions that I regularly get from the UA community about underfloor heating. I really appreciate your time today. No problems, and sorry again, I uh, I sound like a 14-year-old boy who's uh, going through a few years. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Hope you're feeling better soon. Cheers. <laughs> Thank you. Bye. Well, I do hope that you enjoyed that. Now, remember to head to the show notes where you'll find the link to my blog post. I've got extra images and information. I've also got the video version of that interview as well, if you want to check out what Luke looks like, and all of the links to connect you to Luke and Hotwire if you need to. And a quick link to that blog post is www.undercoverarchitect.com forward slash underfloor heating. Now, as Luke said, he has installers all over Australia. And for those that you are, of you that are listening outside of Australia, because I know there's UA Community podcast listeners all across the world, I really do hope that this has equipped you with some fantastic knowledge to be able to ask the right questions of suppliers and installers so that you can be sure you're getting good quality advice and products for your underfloor heating. Now, next podcast episode, it's also going to be awesome. I'm talking to Dan Swan, who is one of the founders of RealR. Now, this is an app that I've been sharing with my online course members and my VIP members for a little while now, and I'm really excited to be bringing it to you. This augmented reality app, it will be game-changing in helping you get confidence that you're designing the right renovation or new build before you start construction. So tune in next time to learn how you can access it and how it works to show you your home inside and out at life size whilst you can make inexpensive changes to it before you build. Until next time, bye. Bye.